We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. A lot of basketball yet to play, and these Tom Thibodeau coach Knicks should have a massive chip on their shoulder headed into game two. Hello, and welcome to the Footback with Ian Begley playoff special. We are presented, as always, by 888 Sport. Bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code SNY88. I'm Chris Williamson alongside SNY NBA insider Ian Begley, and today we are joined by the creator and CEO of Knicks Fan TV, CP in the house. And we got the Athletics Knicks reporter, Mike Workinov, as well. So happy to have both of those gentlemen on with us. We are live on SNY's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. And you can get involved in the comment section throughout this entire stream. But as always, we're going to tip things off with the baseline. And in, so it's the day after. Now that we've had time to sleep and think on it, what are your biggest takeaways from game one? One of them revolves around Trey Young, and what does Tom Thibodeau do to counter going into game two? Do you change how you're defending the pick and roll? Do you change who is defending Trey Young? And that brings you to Alfred Payton. Payton got a quick hook in the first quarter, quick hook in the third quarter, even though he started at point guard for the Knicks. And I just wonder, does that mean that Thibodeau is going to remove Payton from the lineup? He was actually just asked about that this afternoon after they practiced, and he was noncommittal about whether he would or he wouldn't remove Peyton from the lineup. He didn't give any indication, but it, it made it seem like he was less definitive on, on keeping the lineup as is, uh, as he has been in the past. So just in hearing how he answered the question, it made my ears perk up a little bit. Seemed like he, w- he was less committed, but that's just conjecture on my point. But that's where it starts. It starts with Trey Young. It starts with how you defend him. Obviously, Julius Randle, it's important to get him going. But to me, it all starts with the head of the snake in Atlanta. Yeah, because they had no answer for Trey Young that whole night. I mean, he was running the same play, play after play, and they still couldn't stop it. And uh, the last possession, you know, CP, Coach Tibbs brings in Frank Nielakina, cold off the bench, hadn't played a minute up until that point. Do you think that was a mistake 
uh, bringing him in just so cold to defend Trey Young? I think it was because it's hard to have a guy come in and, you know, on offense you want to establish a rhythm, but on defense as well. I think it's hard to just throw a guy out there and say, okay, shut down this guy that had it cook in the whole fourth quarter when Frank, you know, really wasn't involved in the flow of the game. Now, he had his opportunities. He did try to force Trey Young left, and Trey Young crossed him over and blew right by him. So give credit to Trey Young for making a good play. But I also thought that last possession, at one point we had four guys out on the court. So overall, it was a comedy of errors and where, you know, late game execution really hurt us. But Lou Williams, the third into the fourth quarter, closing that third into the fourth quarter, we had a seven-point lead. Lou Williams erased that by himself. So the fourth quarter started, we had a tie game. So I think Frank Nielakina, those minutes, if we can take those away from Peyton, start Rose, go to Burks, and then have Frank in between to kind of slow down those, uh, the ball handlers or the Hawks on the pick and roll, maybe that would have helped a little bit. Right, because it's not like Frank has to play, you know, a majority of the minutes. He just needs to find his role when he does get on there, you know, five, ten minutes or whatever it is, and then solidify, you know, his place in that lineup. And, and what do you think the Knicks need to do more of to win? Attack Trey Young on defense or go at him on offense? Uh, I mean, both. I, I think the first thing they got to do figure out is how to defend him in the pick and roll. They used a lot of drop coverage in the first game, and he just he killed them. You know, they gave up the mid-range, gave up the floater to him because they were seemed to be so desperate to make sure Quinn Capella didn't finish the lobs. And Trey Young took it. He's like, all right, I'll score from there. Um, and then once he got into the middle of that, that paint, he was also still able to find and kick out shooters. So they got to figure out something defensively. I mean, we talked about that last play where Trey Young just, you know, crossed up Frank and Taj Gibson. That was also a change in how they defend him on the pick and roll. It looked like they're trying to trap him or at least press him up a little bit instead of having uh, Gibson drop as he had been the whole game. So we'll see what Thibodeau does there. I don't know. They tried first, Rose, quickly, Peyton. None of them could do anything against Trey in game one. So we'll see what they do differently. And then uh, they got to figure it out offensively. You can't have Julius Randle going 6-23 again. No, that's inexcusable. But uh, just to follow up, so who do you think is the best option to guard Trey? Obviously, Trey is going to get his points. But if there's somebody who can contain him a little bit, who would be the best guy? I, I wonder if they tried to have, like, Noel, uh, if he's playing, or Gibson, uh, try to attack him differently off the screen and maybe try to get the rotations behind uh, whoever the big man is, uh, go in a little differently, get Capella along the way and bump him. And I think that's the best way to do it. I don't think any one individual defender can really stop Trey Young. He's got too many weapons in his bag, and, and the Hawks are just so good at running that pick and roll. Um, I, I think it's going to have to be just kind of team coverage instead of just one guy. But, hey, that all goes back to where you're starting a point guard too, right? Uh, you know, if you're starting Alex Burks or something at point guard, he's got uh, first dibs. No, he, de- he definitely does. And remember to submit your questions for C.P. Vork and Ian in the comments. And, and Vork just kind of touched on it there a little bit, uh, but, you know, the Knicks did a great job of keeping Trey off the line the first three quarters. The fourth, though, the Knicks got more fatigued, and you started to see Trey Young get to the line more. How can the Knicks really stop him from taking over again? One thing they can do is make shots. I know that's a, a simple answer to the question, but when you make shots, then the Hawks are coming back and playing the Knicks set defense, and teams have tried to push on the Knicks, push the pace, get in transition on the Knicks because they know all year long that if you're up against that set defense, it's really tough to score. Now, obviously, Trey Young did well in the half court in game one, but I, I think that if Randall makes more shots or if anybody makes more shots, that that forces the Hawks to slow things down. And, you know, Julius Randall said he liked the shots that he got in game one 
which makes sense because it looked to me like he got a lot of the same looks that he's gotten throughout the year, shots that he was hitting. But there were a few times late in the third quarter, CP mentioned it, when Randall struggled with a double team, there was a turnover, and then Lou Williams really, really uh, took control late in the third, and that was a big stretch of that game. So all year long, we saw Julius Randle handle double teams well, pass out of double teams, find the open shooter. I think that's something to look at in game two. Does the ball come out of Randle's hands a little more quickly when the Hawks send a second defender to him? Yeah, absolutely. And CP, uh, just to piggyback off of the, the young topic, um, what do you think the Knicks need to do to make sure Trey Young does not go off like the way he did in game one? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Mike. It may not be one guy. I, I also think it's difficult to have, you know, D. Rose chasing him around, chasing Lou Williams around, and then expect him to be fresh on the other end and make plays for you. So that's why I say maybe throw in Frank, but I think schematically they've got to try something else, whether it's trapping him a bit more in the pick and rolls or, you know, ducking under the screens and maybe, you know, forcing him into some mid-ranges and living with that just so that, you know, your rotations don't break down and, and you're leaving guys like a Bogdanovich open or a Capella open on the lob. So I think it could be a combination of things, whether it's scheme or getting Frank a couple more minutes there, seeing if he can kind of disrupt the flow. And I thought Ian was also right on the money. Making our shots or taking better shots and limiting our turnovers um, will allow them to, to set their defense in the half court and have a better shot at it. CP, I talked to a scout last week coming into the series, and one thing that he mentioned about what the Knicks could maybe do against Trey Young, he talked about maybe having R.J. Barrett on him uh, at times in the game. He also talked about – Hey, force Trey to shoot those 30-footers. That, that, you're much better off having him shoot those 30-footers than you are allowing him to get into the lane, allowing him to crease your defense, create open looks for his teammates. So I'm wondering if the Knicks maybe can make an adjustment in that respect, kind of wall off and, and force Trey to take those shots or at least make those shots look more appealing and uh, induce him to taking those 30-footers rather than getting in, into the paint again and again the way he did game one. Yeah, because whatever, everything they did in game one is not the recipe. So they need to throw out any type of, you know, adjustments, you know, to make sure Trey Young doesn't go off. And, and this comes from Knicks Fan TV, uh, or this comes from Dave, I should say. Um, do you think Alec Burke's name should have been called to take the final shot with .9 seconds left after a hot fourth quarter? Yeah, it's a fair, fair point to make because Julius Randle got a really tough look there, falling away from the basket. He didn't even get the, his look off in time. If you get the ball to Burks, you know, I think he's, he's more than capable of catching and shooting from beyond the arc in .9 seconds. So that's certainly somewhere that you can question Tom Thibodeau and the coaching staff. But listen, Tom Thibodeau, you know, all year long, we talked about how well prepared he has this Nick team and other coaches talk about how, how in detail he is in preparing his guys. And this is where coaches make their money in playoff series, the adjustments game to game in the postseason. So uh, Tom Thibodeau has a great reputation uh, as being able to do that. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of adjustments he makes coming off of game one, going into game two. And Borg, what, do you, what did you think about the last situation or the last play call for the Knicks? It was surprising to me to see Burks taking out the ball, especially after he was red hot, you know, pretty much the entire game, especially in that fourth quarter. I, the whole play kind of just confused me a little bit. Um, you know, Burks is one of it. Obviously, he's one of their best shooters. It would have been if he was on the court instead of inbounding, right? There's no, not really the time there to inbound and pass back to him with 0.9 seconds left. Uh, the shot, 
was weird. <laughs> Julius Randle caught the ball with his back to the basket. So he had to catch, turn, shoot, and the Burks pass was off too. Uh, they had Taj Gibson on the floor, who's not a shooter, right? That's really a non-entity in terms of one of the guys that you're passing to. So the defense doesn't have to respect him, especially since he's on the perimeter. I don't know. I, don't, I, I looked back at the play like five times today. I don't even know who the first option was. Was it Derrick Rose curling to the corner? You know, the Knicks have really struggled on those baseline out-of-bounds, sideline out-of-bounds plays all season. They've actually been one of the worst teams in the league in both. So, you know, maybe it's execution or maybe it's what Tom Thibodeau is drawing up in those situations, but it just hasn't been working. And that play kind of crystallizes that, you know, the playoffs are where your strengths and your weaknesses all get heightened. And it seems like that's the thing that they're not particularly good with uh, this season. Yeah, they're going to have to – I was going to say the same thing as Mike, Chris. It just seems like – I don't have the numbers, but it just seems like compared to last year, especially under Miller, it just seems like the Knicks just haven't been crisp in terms of executing out of timeouts or the sidelines out of bounds plays. Even when Burks inbounds it, it always seems like it's almost going to be a five-second violation or some sort of disaster. So I would have rather have him uh, be in position to shoot the ball quickly maybe as well. I didn't like him inbounding on that last play of the game. Yeah, those late-game play calls, uh, I feel like this season, they just give Knicks fans so much anxiety because you don't you don't know, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, and once again, write your questions into the comment section, no matter what platform you're watching on. We'll get to them throughout the show. Before we move on from game one, make sure to check out SNY.TV after the show for tons of great Knicks features, including Ian's suggestions for three things that the Knicks need to correct headed into game two. One of them involves a starting lineup. And, Ian, we've been asking this question all season – uh, if it didn't matter before, it really matters now. Alfred Payton's leash keeps getting shorter and shorter. How much more patience? I know you touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the show, but how much more patience will Thibs have with him? Well, if he had enough patience to start him game one, it seems like there's an allegiance or a loyalty there that, that you know, fans on the outside probably can't understand. And so I, I think that there's something there. We don't know exactly what it is, but I do think that, Coming into this series, it would have been uh, untibido like for him to make that lineup change going into game one. They were 16-4 and four in the last 20 games of the season with Peyton as their starter, despite how he had struggled. So now we're in this series. I think it was always most likely that if you were going to see a lineup change, you were going to see it during the series. And Frank Nelikina, you know, it seems like the obvious choice, whether he's in the starting lineup or you start somebody else and you put Nelikina in your rotation – to defend Trey Young. That seems like the answer. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is when the Knicks traded for Derrick Rose, you know, there was some people kind of whispering about the idea that Rose eventually, you know, will start for this team. And I really think that that was part of the conversation. And I do think that if he had not been out for several weeks with the COVID-19 bout, I think he would have taken over as a starter at some point during the season. I think the momentum was halted from that because he was out for so long. But, you know, certainly something – there has to be some kind of adjustment. Uh, I have to think Thibodeau is more open to it today than he was going into game one. Yeah, because when he took him out, you know, after four minutes in that first quarter, uh, you could tell or you know that he's been thinking about how, yeah, Payton's he's not going to be able to get it done, especially – in the playoffs, so you know you got to move with other guys. And Vork, aside from a poor shooting performance from Julius Randle, the Hawks' double teams really seem to be getting to him, and some of his decision making really regressed to the Randle that we saw last year. And you wrote about this for the Athletic. How concerned are you about him after a very disappointing game one? I, you know, it's funny. Like Ian said, he was kind of taking the shots that he has been all season. 
But the shots that he's been taking all season have been really tough shots. Like, there's a degree of difficulty to the jumpers that he's making, the long mid-range pull-ups. Um, that's that's kind of walking the line, right? Um, at, you know, at some point, that shot just kind of gets cold. Even good shooters will have cold stretches, and especially if you're taking hard shots. You know, unfortunately, as we've seen, sometimes that comes, like, in a short series in the playoffs. And I'm not saying that's coming from Julius Randle now, um, but kind of relying on tough mid-range jumpers uh, is really difficult. He shot 43% from the mid-range this season during the regular season. Yesterday, he was one of 10, right? Um, the Hawks did a great job because they were either, you know, they weren't quite, like, doubling him, but they always had a defender underneath, mostly Clint Capella, just kind of shadowing whoever was guarding Randall, and that took away some of his passing lanes, took away some of his driving lanes, and it made him rely on those tough jumpers again. And uh, as good as Randall's been, you know, just asking a guy to take really tough twos and threes all season long, um, that's that's putting a lot on him. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, uh, but he's shown he's been able to do it, you know, not just for, you know, 10 games, but the entire season. So We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You would think, you know, he'll be able to bounce back uh, in game two and get back to his old self. And he had the Knicks are already without Mitchell Robinson for much of the season. have leaned on Todd Gibson and Erlens Noel, but both stepped up in a huge way. And obviously Noel went down with a leg injury uh, late in the second half Sunday night. And Anthony Linder wants to know any update on Noel. We did get an update. Tom Thibodeau said that Noel tweaked his ankle in game one, and he said that he should be okay for game two. He, he said that we're going to take a look at Noel, see how he bounces back tomorrow, and, uh, and go from there. But he did say that the Knicks practiced today, and Noel participated in part of practice, not all of practice. But to me, the idea that he was able to get out on the court and participate in some portion of what they did is encouraging because I know they weren't out there scrimmaging five-on-five banging bodies. Uh, so that wasn't the reason that Noel got pulled from practice. So that tells you that this ankle is not very serious. And if things go the Knicks way, they should have Noel back for game two on Wednesday. Man, that's a relief for Knicks fans for sure. Cause they definitely uh, were nervous, you know, when he went out cause he's been banged up all season long and CP, you know, one guy that we haven't really mentioned is RJ bear. What did you make of his playoff debut? It was a mixed bag. I thought, um, you know, the third quarter, he was certainly electric nine points in the third capped off with the dunk on Bogdanovich that just shook MSG uh, to the core. So that was nice to see RJ kind of come out of a first-half slump. You know, one for six from downtown is not going to get it done. And a lot of those are wide-open looks. You know, a lot of those looks he would knock down in the regular season. So um, didn't knock those down in this game. 
Also, uh, only two free throw attempts. I'd like to see RJ get a bit more aggressive, especially with Bogdanovich guarding him. Are there opportunities where um, you can get, you know, RJ isolated on a Trey Young? I know he had one last night, one opportunity late in the game last night, and he was able to convert. So I'd like to see them, you know, look for RJ's opportunities there, especially if Julius doesn't have it going. But overall, I thought it was a mixed bag. Yeah, it, it was something that you you pretty much expected. You didn't expect, you know, he was going to go off. Uh, you knew he was going to have some nerves coming into his first playoff game. And, Bork, uh, Rick V uh, is asking, it seemed like the Knicks did a decent job of containing Trey in the first half. What do you think changed in that second half that really set Trey off? I think you just decided to start cooking. Um, you know, sometimes players do that where they'll let the first half kind of play out a little bit, defer – make sure more guys are involved. The whole thing with Trey Young this season is he's been allowing his teammates to do more. You know, his shot numbers are down. His threes are down. I think he's trying to be more of a facilitator. And it seemed like once the fourth quarter hit, he decided to take over. You know, you looked at how many times he got to the line. You looked at how many times he attacked off the pick and roll. Uh, I was looking at it. His pick and the number of pick and rolls he ran um, got more and more progressively each quarter. So I think it was kind of – it seemed like it was a decision where he was willing to maybe – play off a little bit more, and then once the third quarter, the fourth quarter hit, uh, he decided it was his time to take over the game. And the Knicks had zero answers for him in that fourth quarter. And, Ian, uh, we got another question from Alan Yu on YouTube. He's asking uh, about a plan B in case Noel's injury gets aggravated. Assuming Noel is out for game two, how confident would you be uh, seeing Norvell Pell backing up Gibson at the five? Do you think the game would be winnable in that scenario? Look, you lose a lot if you lose – Nerlens Noel, you can't downplay it because he's been so good defending the rim all year, uh, blocking shots, changing shots, dissuading people from driving to the rim. So, you know, you don't want to uh, understate that impact because it would be major. You go to Taj Gibson, who's been very solid all year as a backup, um, but, you know, he starts. And then Norval Pelli, who is a very strong player, strong guy, can rebound, can defend, but just hasn't played at all this year really so there would have to be concerns if you're losing Nerland's Noel now the way Tom Thibodeau addressed it today after practice it didn't sound like they would be without Noel for game two but certainly if you lose him that is a tough blow because he's been such an important part of winning for you all season if you're the Knicks yeah he's been a really great rim protector for the Knicks team uh, for the entire season and I stray got it cooking in the fourth quarter especially in crunch time who do you think should be the primary defender on Trey Young in game two Frank Nilakina, Reggie Bullock Derek Rose Alec Burks or RJ Barrett go to sny.tv slash vote now for this week's fan choice presented by 888 sport bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code SNY88 and and when we look at the big questions going into game two. Uh, let's start in the first quarter. Uh, CBD92 on Twitter wants to know, what can they change besides the lineup, you know, to have a stronger first quarter? You know, I think it starts there. I don't know where else you would go outside of changing the starting five when you talk about starting the game better. Obviously, I think last night what you saw was nerves from the Knicks a little bit too because they're playing in front of 15,000 for the first time this season. And, the Nets actually mentioned the same thing because they were playing in front of a big crowd at Barclays, just kind of getting caught up in that a little bit, being a little bit uh, too juiced up, a little bit tight. So I have to think that was part of it for the Knicks. So maybe game two, 
they're a little more used to the settings and that doesn't bother them early on. So those two things jump out at me immediately. But aside from inserting Derrick Rose into the starting lineup or doing something with your starting lineup, I don't see an obvious answer as how to get going uh, and much better than you did in game one for the Knicks. Right. Uh, and Vort, you know, one of the things that Ian just brought up was maybe bringing Derek Rose into the lineup, you know, to get things rolling a little bit more. Uh, what kind of adjustments do you think Tibbs will make uh, from game one to game two? Well, that's the big one, right? The Derek Rose, Julius Randle minutes have been where the money's at for the Knicks uh, since Derek Rose came over. I'd be interested to see if they kind of try to do things differently offensively for Randle, uh, maybe less standstill isolation stuff. Uh, put him in pick and roll, whether it's the ball handler or just, you know, as a screener and trying to create shots for him that way. I wonder if they'll try to attack Trey Young a little bit more, too, get him uh, tired if they can. You know, I was surprised the Hawks didn't do that with Randall with all the, the fours that they got and try to make him uh, kind of get winded defensively. I wonder if the Knicks would try to do that with Trey in the first quarter in game two. But, uh, I mean, really that's about it. I think the one thing I didn't notice that much was um, them really putting the ball in Archie Barrett's hands. In game one and letting him create a little bit off the ball, they, they, you know, gave him his chances throughout the season, but it looked like he didn't get that in game one. So maybe that's something they can try um, as well. But really, I think what everyone's looking to is, is the point guard minutes. And if you don't trust Alfred Payton to, to score and to create, it's a big hole to have a non-entity as, as your point guard and basically play four on five offensively. Yeah, that's a huge Huge responsibility and a huge factor in, you know, whether your team wins or loses. Uh, make sure to submit your questions for CP, Borg, and Ian in the comments. And, CP, the Knicks bench continued to shine against Atlanta with Alberts, dropping those 27 points. D. Rose doing his thing. Even Obi topping it and Mayo quickly made positive contributions. Uh, the Knicks bench outscored Atlanta 64-31 in game one. Combine that with the regular season series – Knicks bench is now outscoring the Hawks by 70 points over four games. Could the Knicks' second unit emerge as that X factor in winning the series, or do you see it going differently? I, I certainly believe it could. As a matter of fact, on my pregame show yesterday, right before I signed off, I was at MSG. I said, this series and this game is going to come down to the bench. And that three-headed monster with Rose, Quickly, and Burks, and they combined for 54 points yesterday. Alec Burks was incredible. Um, his playmaking, his ability to get to the basket, had a nice assist for Obi, who dunked on Capella. Um, he's been he's been so dynamic since he came back from COVID protocol, and he's an important piece. I thought quickly, really settled in for a rookie. You know, he was pulling up from the logo, it seemed like, last night. He had the guard and electrified. And Derrick Rose was Derrick Rose, you know, our typical veteran, uh, most important point guard on this team. And as Vork mentioned it, I'd like to see them – Go to that Rose Randall pick and roll a little bit more. Can we get Julius some easier looks instead of having to create for himself in isolation all the time? And that's why I think the point guard situation is so important to get us off to a good start and get us in a rhythm. But there's no doubt that Rose quickly and Burks are going to be the X factor in us winning the series. Yeah, a lot will be on their shoulders uh, for the remainder of this series. And uh, John Talento on YouTube wants to know, should Obi get more minutes if Randall is struggling again? Uh, I was surprised he got as many minutes as he got in game one. They they flourished in those eight minutes he played in the second quarter. Usually Tom Thibodeau uh, doesn't let him go that long. If they can survive like five, six, seven minutes again in the second quarter, uh, like they did in game one, I think that's a win already. They were I think they were plus four in the second in the eight minutes that um, Obi was on the floor for Randall. You know, Randall played fewer than his – season average minutes last night. Um, how often do we see that in the playoffs for the star player playing less minutes, right? Um, I don't think 
Obi can replace what Julius Randle does uh, offensively. Like, he's just not the hub of an offense like, like Randle is. So I don't think that's the answer. But if you can just kind of even get him to break even during the time that Randle's not on the floor, I mean, I don't think you're replacing Julius Randle. You're just hoping for a regression back to the mean for him. Right. All right. And, and Ian, it seems like you have some uh, update, updated information on Nerlens Noel. What can you tell us uh, about the latest on that front? Yeah, just added info because, you know, Tom Thibodeau said that he should be okay. And then I spoke with somebody who has knowledge of the situation, and they said that the injury was minor, the ankle injury is minor, and they reiterated that he should be good to go for game two. So there, that should be uh, less of a concern for the Knicks, the idea that they should have Nerlens Noel. That's big for them. Uh, and the idea that you're not going to have to go to Taj Gibson as your starter, because uh, that's, I don't think, the change in the starting lineup that Knicks fans are, are looking for. They're looking at the point guard to change and certainly not the center. So it just seems like, according to somebody I spoke to, it was a minor thing and he should be okay for game two. Oh, that's one wonderful news for Nerlens Noel. And a few people on Twitter and YouTube, Ian, are asking about any possibility of Mitchell Robinson or Luca Vidoza making cameos in the series. Uh, what can you tell the people? Uh, Luca, no. I mean, barring barring like a rash of injuries or a bunch of Knicks being out because of COVID protocols, he will not be uh, participating in this series. Mitchell Robinson, you know, they left the door open all along here, and. Mitchell Robinson, as of last week, had been doing work on the court, and he hadn't progressed to taking any contact or anything like that. So there are a couple hurdles that he needs to clear before he even think about putting him in a game. But the idea that he was progressing as of last week and they hadn't totally ruled him out leads me to believe that there's a chance that maybe he could be here late this series, early second round if the Knicks make it. And that would be a really great thing for the Knicks to have another rim protector uh, in there in addition to Nerland's Noel. And CP, you know, you were at the Garden last night, 15,000 strong, just going crazy. You felt the energy uh, and how it affected the game. And Julio Mercado on YouTube wants to know if you think the Knicks will come out pumped, especially after Young's antics at the end of the game when he's telling Spike Lee and everybody to, to be quiet. Yeah, well, they have to. And and uh, Bleacher Report put that young video up, and uh, Reggie Bullock must have commented on it with a uh, notepad and pencil emoji. So we got some bulletin board material. They got to step up. They got to step up and stop young. Speaking of Bullock, you know, he was off last night, and he's an important piece of the starting lineup. Um, but it was no surprise because with Julius not getting it going and them two having such great chemistry, uh, it was no surprise that Bullock got off to a slow start. You know, he and RJ missed a ton of wide-open looks. And so I believe all three of those guys, guys combined for 15 of 47 from the field and I think some of that was the energy in MSG early man it was electric before they even hit the court and uh, we talked about Nerlens Noel watching Nerlens on TV make those block shots is one thing but watching him in person you know when he met Collins at the apex and blocked a shot in crunch time the garden you know jumped through their seats and so it was great to be back you know great to have the fans back and more fans back and hopefully it galvanizes the team for game two. Right, I think for I gotta ask CP something, Chris. I'm sorry. I did hear a rumor from a a source in the building that it was you and and Jay Boogie and some of your Knicks fan TV family that actually started the (laughs) FU chant to Trey Young. Is that did you guys get that going? That's what I heard. That that wasn't me, man, because that's a player that you're gonna have to respect, and he could kill you for it, and he ended up doing it. But it was loud. It was loud in there. No, make no mistake. Ian, you want to be a, a stand-up comedian? 
No, I'm serious. I, I heard people. They told me. <laughs> he was the guy who started. I'm just That's reporting the, the news. Right. Uh, you're just the messenger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all, right, all right. So, Vork, uh, King Deej on YouTube wants to know, any possibility of starting Frank? Um, I doubt it. Uh, I would say it's, it's tough to see a guy who goes from getting uh, last possession of each half minutes to starting. Uh, he also doesn't give the offense that the Knicks need. Um, and I don't know that he'd be the, the antidote for Trey Young. So I, I think it would probably – I'd be interested to see them actually kind of give Emmanuel quickly a shot um, in the starting lineup, give some spacing, um, maybe try to make it a little bit easier on Julius Randle that way, and you still have Derrick Rose coming off the bench in a role that really suits him or, or Alec Burks. I think there's a few answers there beyond just Rose as a starting point guard, but uh, I know Tom Thibodeau has his allegiances. So we'll see how all that plays out in the next, you know, 48 hours or so. All right, guys. So we've talked about all the X's and O's, all the different, you know, storylines um, that are persisting or continuing in this series after game one. So, Vork, let's get, to the, let's get right to it. What's your game two prediction uh, for, between the Knicks and the Hawks? Uh, I think it'll be close again. I think it's going to come down to the final minute. I don't think you're getting 27 points from Alec Burks again. Uh, I, I think I think we may have one more game uh, with the ball in Trey Young's hands uh, and uh, the decision, the game winner in the, on the line there uh, in the final minute. CP? We're on 115-110. Knicks split the series, go to Atlanta, and, and uh, you know, start the whole series over. I'm, I'm hoping for a better performance by Julius Randle. I'm with Vork. You know, it's a tall order to, to look for Alec Burks to repeat that performance. It was kind of a wasted performance last night. You, you'd hope they got the W. But um, an increase in play by Julius Randle should elevate Bullock, should elevate RJ, get the Knicks to a win, 115 and 110. What about you, Ian? What's, yeah, your, so what's your prediction? I give you just the reasons why I think Knicks fans should be worried because Derrick Rose was phenomenal in game one and they didn't get a win. And Obi Toppin gave you something game one. They didn't get a win. Emmanuel quickly was great in limited minutes. They didn't get a win. I don't think you can count on Burks and, and those guys playing as well as they did. So it has to come from Julius Randle. And I think if he starts to play better, you get Reggie Bullock going as CP said, I think the Knicks will write the ship. I think they do win game two and, you're locked in at 1-1 going down to Atlanta. Yeah, I think the Knicks will absolutely win in game two. I just don't see Julius Randle repeating such a horrible performance that he had in game one. And I believe, you know, Tibbs, the way his, you know, he's a defensive master uh, when it comes to crafting, you know, schemes. I think he'll be able to contain Trey Young a little bit better uh, than, you know, what they showed in game one. But we'll have tons of coverage throughout the Knicks run in the postseason on SNY.TV, but also on SNY itself. Ian Begley and myself are bringing the putback to Geico Sports Night during the postseason, reacting to each game and so much more. So be sure to watch Sports Night every night at 11 p.m. or after Mets postgame. And on that note, that's going to do it for this edition of the putback with Ian Begley. Our thanks to Mike Workinoff of The Athletic and CP of Knicks Fan TV. A pleasure as always. You guys provide so much wonderful insight, and you're always welcome back on the show. We'll be doing live shows throughout the postseason and plenty more coverage on SNY and SNY.TV. For Ian Begley, I'm Chris Williamson. Thanks for watching The Putback. Enjoy Game 2, and we'll see you later.